Good morning, travelers, pre-med students, and undergraduates. Welcome to Doctors Inn. This is where medical experiences are shared, study strategies are examined, and life lessons with a sprinkle of advice and habits are served. This podcast features proactive physicians who have taken strides toward global, public, gender, and mental health initiatives to ultimately improve healthcare around the world. Join me, MD Hawk, and my co-host Natalia Krutovska as we deconstruct the journey of medicine with our guests. So today we have here with us Dr. Anjali, who is a full-time medical psychiatry resident, but also a very transparent and insightful lifestyle blogger on Instagram, who illuminates the key moments we all go through as pre-medical, medical, and resident students. So hopefully we can touch base on that a little bit as well today. And given that you're in arguably the most hectic time in your career with very hard hours as a resident, we thank you tremendously for making the time to talk with us today. So I guess we can start off with the first question. Why medicine? What drew you into medicine? And um, we can just talk a little bit about your pre-med journey. Sure, sounds good. I want to start off by saying thanks so much for reaching out to me and working with my schedule and everything, guys. I'm really excited for this and I really appreciate the opportunity. So um, medicine, I'm like one of those typical brown kids. A couple of choices was pushed at me early on in terms of uh, encouraged career paths. But actually, I had a lot of experience in medicine because my dad is chronically ill with a lot of different um, medical conditions. So I was uh, visiting him in and out of the hospital a lot growing up. And so I got to see a lot of firsthand care from doctors, nurses, kind of the whole healthcare team and saw how different parts of medicine came together to work with a patient and care for a family. And out of all of that, I really liked how uh, doctors played a role in helping patients and making patients feel better and everything. And I was really drawn to that from an early age. Um, My mom is a nurse, so that gave me a nice little uh, gateway in terms of trying to find people to work with shadow, uh, to explore different fields of medicine. She would kind of just ask people at work, Anjali's interested in medicine. Do you think she could just come by your office this evening or see you? My parents' uh, internal med physician actually is also a huge mentor to me. I shadowed him endlessly. Uh, he like teaches on a resident service at a local hospital and stuff. So I would go on rounds with him at different hospitals, be in his practice. Um, I'm lucky to have had a lot of uh, exposure and entry into medicine that way. So I shadowed through a lot of internal medicine fields, cardiology, neurology I really liked, pulmonology, general internal medicine. And I did that a lot in terms of shadowing experience before medical school. And then my parents introduced me to the opportunity of doing an accelerated BSMD program since I was like relatively sure, you know, ultimately throughout college, I wanted to go into um, medicine, go to medical school. So the BSMD program was a two-year upfront college fast track, basically to get a bachelor's in science. And then you would just matriculate to medical school right after to like a guaranteed seat so long as you met certain uh, academic requirements. And it sounded like a good program. So it was a total of uh, six years? That's correct. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So so you mentioned that you had a lot of experience. I mean, you really liked neurology. Is that kind of why you were drawn to psychiatry? Is that one of the reasons, would you say, because the brain and obviously all, all the effects that it has on our mental wellness? So I'll be honest with you, psychiatry was not on my radar at all growing up. Oh, wow. And through medical school, it was like a complete surprise to me. Like, like you said, you know, I liked neurology a lot. I liked the brain. We had like a full course in med school dedicated like solely to neurology. And prior to that, I had done some like minimal research work with a local neurologist. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. I think this is what I want to do. And I liked that block that we had. And then I 
did my third year rotation in psychiatry and I was like, I don't think I want to do anything else besides this. <laughs> so it just jumped out at me. <laughs> what about psychiatry? Why is the difference between like you were drawn to neurology, but what was that deciding factor that pushed you to psychiatry instead? So I will preface this by saying I'm biased because I do adore psychiatry and obviously I work in it, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't have a whole lot of experience in doing other things. But um, in my opinion, I think psychiatry was the field that I saw most humanized patients because I saw during psychiatry, I had the time to sit down with a patient and kind of talk through their whole story, get to know them as a person, because, you know, those parts of their life, things that they grew up with, their achievements, their struggles, all of those things come into play in terms of their treatment, right? Versus there's some amazing internal med docs, there's some amazing doc surgeons, you know, there's some amazing doctors in every field. But I didn't think I saw any field had like the time with a patient that like psychiatry did in terms of fleshing them out as a person and getting to know them before you started treating them. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's such a valuable part of medicine, uh, getting to really know the patient. And I think that's actually heavily emphasized more and more by each medical school just to, you know, train physicians to really have that holistic pathway. We're not treating just a symptom, we're treating a patient, we're treating a person. And yeah, I'm just so glad that you talked about this. Yeah, and you mentioned the BSMD program. So those tend to be super rigorous. I, I know a couple of friends <laughs> that are in these programs and they're usually pretty stressed. And like yeah. like you mentioned, like you have to meet these core requirements to, you know, then proceed on to medical school. So uh, what piece of advice would you have for pre-meds? Although you finish your pre-med years in two years, pretty claustrophobic, but uh, I mean, you must have been able to manage it in a way that was efficient and effective. So what piece of advice is most outstanding to you? Efficient, effective, maybe unhealthy. Yeah, all very true. <laughs> I mean, who better to give this? Who better to to give the advice other than the person who obviously completed pre med in two years? <laughs> um, so pre meds, I would say take your time and do things you enjoy. They don't have to be all related. Your entire CV doesn't have to be related to medicine. You're not a bad person for enjoying things outside of medicine and taking classes that aren't like science heavy or science focused. Like looking back at my, you know, short college career, some of my favorite classes were uh, the non-medical, like the non-science uh, classes. I took, uh, I'm really into writing and reading. I took like a lit class. I took a history class that I really liked. I took a, I sang in high school. So I took a vocal class as one of my block fillers. Um, those are the classes I like remember and the memories I have of things that like I enjoyed and I wasn't like terribly stressed about like, oh, I got to get a good grade on this test or slam orgo or stuff like that. So I would say I would encourage, you know, it's okay to have like interests outside of medicine. I think it fleshes you out more holistically, both it makes you happier as a person. It makes you a more interesting candidate. And ultimately, you know, those interests will help you relate to your patients down the line and just make you a more well-rounded person, which is what we, you know, need in medicine is what I think. Yeah, that um, reminds me of uh, something that you, I believe, started on Instagram, the hashtag not just a, not just a student, not just a nurse, not just a etc. So do you mind talking a little bit about that and your inspiration for starting that? Yeah, so that was a really exciting campaign for me. It came, you know, out of the idea that I felt like a lot of my anxiety and sad feelings, depression, everything like stress in medical school was that early on, you know, I thought 
I had to just give up myself to medicine, study 24-7. That medicine was like supposed to be all-consuming. And if it wasn't, I would feel guilty. Like if I wasn't studying, I'd feel guilty. I would cancel a lot of plans. I wasn't coping very healthily in terms of transition, you know? Yeah. It's a lot. It's a medical school is like this big uh, title that comes with expectations. And people are like, oh, you, you know, you won't have a social life. You won't. Uh, you will just be studying forever. And I thought that was what I had to do. And it wasn't healthy and it didn't, you know, produce very good results. Like I mm -hmm. didn't do great. And one year I failed my first test. It was not the first test I failed. I wasn't class topper by any means. And I, and for like, you know, all the studying I was putting in, I wasn't getting anything in terms of like amazing grades out of it. And I also just was like sad and anxious and tired all of the time. Um, it was only until I like started counseling and my counseling encouraged me to start doing things that made me happy that weren't necessarily like medicine focused or medicine related and emphasizing that you don't have to feel guilty for doing those things that I felt like I was able to come at my coursework, you know, with a better mindset and perform better as a result. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to push the whole, you know, we're not just students, we're also humans that have other interests. And that's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. I feel like the medicine culture I was like growing up and going through was you're a medical student, and that is it. You are a doctor, and that is it. But there's all these like wonderful people that I met through second year, third year, fourth year that had so many interesting interests outside of medicine. And that Sure, we're doctors, but this is our day job. I always tell my now my like medical students that come on our service, mm -hmm. you know, if something's going on, it's okay to bring it up. Like tell me you need like the day off to go pick up your son who's sick. Um, you need a mental health day or something, just like let me know. You're not gonna get in trouble. That's so nice. Yeah, I think it's important, you know. It's a demanding field. It should be the new norm. <laughs> it should, a hundred percent. Yeah. The field is demanding and I think the only way to really get through it in a healthy way and, you know, prevent burnout is to remember that you're human and you're allowed to take time for yourself to do things outside of your career path and your career ultimately. So you talked about, you know, doing other things outside of medicine. And one thing that you did mention earlier on is that in your undergrad, you really liked the other non-science classes. And um, just to piggyback on that, you have a blog post. I mean, I have seen the blog post. And if you can just walk us down what motivated you to continue to write, is that something, is that one of the things that, that you did outside of medicine that helped to not go through burnout? Do you mean like the Instagram blog? Yes. Yeah. So that was really fun. That, that I would I would consider that one of the things that I did kind of outside of medicine. It was a nice way to tie in. I really like photography. I really like fashion. I like writing. So it was kind of a nice way to like both document my journey and also tie in other things I enjoyed in terms of like styling outfits, doing photography, mm -hmm. editing photos, all of that. Um, but I also, I, I so I came to the Med Instagram community, uh, I think three years ago, I started it late my second year. And at the time, I felt like uh, I didn't see a whole lot of talking about the sad parts of medicine or the hard parts of medicine or the challenging parts of medical school, you know, and I had some originally I had thought the blog would be like a fashion based blog, like a very lifestyle forward blog, but I started incorporating stuff about, you know, real talk in medical school and it seemed well perceived and it was really fun to write and kind of just like like a relieving way to get stuff off my chest and kind of normalize the fact that you know mm -hmm. I like it's it's possible to get through medical school and also acknowledge the fact that medical school was hard medical school was trying not everyone in medical school is perfect and you don't have to be yeah yeah of course your instagram blog is very transparent so i think that's very appreciated by many pre-meds and medical students so i love the push the, the recent push towards being transparent about all those different things. But so you mentioned that's the 
some of the things that you learned as a med student. What would you say is like the overarching thing that or the most important lesson that you learned as a medical student overall? Um, it could be academic, it could be personal, it could be and related to anything mainly. That's a good question. I've had this talk with a, like a lot of colleagues, a lot of students, like people I went to school with and stuff. I think it's important to remember that medical school seems like a very consuming uh, experience in itself, but life doesn't stop because of medical school. Maybe you can't uh, be present for everything all of the time, right? But I think it's important to make time for the things that you really want to be there for and not limit yourself in terms of like, you'll study for that test and you'll get to that clinical and you'll honor that exam and stuff. But mm -hmm. um, just don't forget that like life will keep going outside. And it's important to remember there are things that require your time and it's okay to give it to them. How do you you know, get out of this bubble of like just studying all day. Obviously, a lot of physicians are now emphasizing work-life balance and trying to show us that, hey, this is how I am optimizing my time so I can maximize both my personal time, my study time, my time with my family. So would you mind giving us a little detail on your uh, end? Yeah, sure. So I guess um, I was terrible about this, like my first year. I, I swear I just crashed through the oh whole first God. year. <laughs> Second year, I feel like I got a little better at things because I was like, oh, I probably have to have a schedule yeah. going now. I think time management was huge. I think every, I feel like everyone talks about it. I feel like a broken record saying it. Uh, I have a planner on the other end of this desk. Whatever kind of like time layout works for you in terms of you writing out, you know, I'm going to study this for like this chunk of time or if you like the whole 8 a.m. every hour set up till midnight, I think find a way that like in terms of planning that works for you and like pre-schedule your time, um, like pre-schedule time with family, time with friends, uh, like making that phone call to like your brother, sister, mom, dad working out. Um, and you don't have to like, you know, you don't have to like win at everything every day. It doesn't have to be like, oh yeah, I like wake up at five and I, <laughs> yeah. I meal prep all of my food and exercise like an hour every day and stuff. But like, you know, pick like a couple of things you'd like to do and then like space them out through the week. Like I try to work out maybe like three times a week. And if I hit that, that's great. If I don't, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> we'll try next week. Um, and like, I work around the studying in terms of like, I know, I think breaking down everything you have to get done. It's like daunting to see, but after you have it in front of you, you're able to like chunk it out in a way that's like more manageable on a day-to-day -day basis and then stick into that schedule, giving yourself some buffer time, um, like a day or two of mental health. I think that's that was my like road to success was just like stick to the schedule. Here's your buffer days. If something goes wrong, just take a buffer day. It's fine. And then just go along with that. Yeah, definitely. What do you what do you do for fun for those buffer days? <laughs> what are your hobbies? <laughs> so I really like to read. I do a lot of audiobook reading on my commutes, like podcasts. I'm really into that stuff. I'll have it on in like the background when I'm driving, when I'm cleaning, cooking, whatever in the house. A plant mom. I have like a million plants <laughs> all over my house. So plant care is now a full-time hobby. <laughs> Watering them is like a whole deal. I like shopping. I love, I still love working on the blog and stuff. Labor of love, exercise. Recently, my most, I think during resident, like residency, I still like enjoy myself and do things I enjoy. One of my hobbies, I think, has just been like trying new places to eat locally. A bunch of new places cropped up recently. My boyfriend is also a resident. So whenever we have like a day off that like intersects, we're like, okay, we have a list of like places to go. Let's try this one. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So also, I wanted to kind of ask a question based on psychiatry. Um, so now you're currently a first year resident. 
Did your perspective on mental health and all the stigma around it, did it shift or like based on your understanding, more understanding of the science aspects on what's really going on inside the human body that allows for these disorders that might come into play or anything else that might impact a person's life? Yeah, so I think... Psychiatry is like forever very interesting to me. I feel like every time I learn something new in psychiatry, I'm kind of learning something that I can apply to myself or apply to my family members or family situation in terms of like, oh, um, you know, these things work for people, like learning new things in psychotherapy, learning new medication stuff. The big draw for me for psychiatry was I had my own mental health struggle struggles and uh, working through them was really meaningful to me and being able to help other people work through them in similar ways. I feel like I relate to my parents and the patients a lot, my parents too, <laughs> but um, it makes it really meaningful to help them work through like, you know, things I've also struggled through and see them towards the other end. I think it's really interesting that we have learned so much about psychiatry. Like psychiatry has, has been so dynamic. I listened to Psychiatry and Psychotherapy, the podcast by Dr. David Pewter. He's a Loma Linda professor, like a psychiatrist on faculty during at their residency mm -hmm. and he has like this whole couple of podcasts about kind of the history of psychiatry you know it's beginnings with uh, lobotomy and like alchemy and all that like cool stuff and like to see how far it's come i think it's so interesting and we know so much science behind it you know that neuroreceptors control some part of mental illness but i also think it's really interesting in the fact that like there's a lot of things we like don't necessarily know because the brain is such like a mm -hmm. ever going like enigma that we have to like keep learning about and trying to decipher i think that part is really cool and i like the fact that there's so many parts to it that we can still learn about in terms of like you can help people with yeah. pharmacotherapy psychotherapy so i've always been like a really big mental health advocate and i think it can that's just kind of deepened after having been in psychiatry and been exposed to so many more just like intimate cases at some point it is like chemical, but there's also so much part like parts of nature, like people's circumstances, things out of their control. Like, you know, in medicine, we talk about modifiable risk factors, and then there's the ones we can't modify. So we kind of just work with what's in our control. There are so many things outside of people's control. We can teach them how to learn to cope with, work around, but they're always kind of there. Um, Nadine Harris wrote a book on the ACEs study. So she wrote about how she saw in her pediatrics clinic, all of these kids who were coming with all of these ACEs risk factors in terms of like abuse, growing up with parents who abuse drugs, trauma, all of the stuff like impacted their health in such a way. And then the ACEs study came out to show, you know, these life events of like just you growing up in like these poor circumstances that you had no control over impacted like your health in terms of lung disease, cancer, like all of these crazy things that your body just reacted to in a certain way. And like, people were so confused about how do these two things kind of go together? I think stuff like that is really interesting. Just one more thing uh, to kind of follow up on that is that there's this interesting finding is that shows that like a patient who might go in for an ankle pain and you actually see that even after they get medicated, etc., sometimes some patients actually don't recover from that and some of it is actually has to deal with the mental health of the patient. Have you seen any cases of that really speaks to you? That's a good question. So I've worked fully on inpatient psychiatry for the last uh, three months. And then my last month was on EM. So I didn't get to see a whole lot of that. We had like, I saw a somatic symptom disorder fella who had a lot of panic symptoms. And so he had like, he was coming in with chest pain and they gave it to me because I took it because I was like, oh, chest pain. I, I know how to work that out. And it turned out he had more psych stuff, which was mm -hmm. funny. You would see that more on like a consult liaison service where they would round on patients kind of coming in for a lot of different problems, right? 
think I heard of it being more popular on that. I've seen a bunch of fibromyalgia patients, people with like the comorbidity, like chronic pain and fibromyalgia. And it's interesting, fibromyalgia was like debated whether or not it was like a real thing for a little while. For a bit there, it was like controversial in medicine. I think it's a decent standing diagnosis now that most people agree on. But uh, I still think it's like interesting that we don't know necessarily how everything works in the body. And I feel like all we can do going forward for patients like that is kind of like, you know, validate their pain because that's not an experience we're necessarily having, nor that we can like, you know, invalidate and try to do what we can in terms of treating it, whether that's like psychotherapy, CBT stuff, or proper like pain management in terms of pharmacotherapy. Yeah, that was all very insightful. So of course, you're very accomplished and you've had all of these different experiences. So it's all really great. And experiences, they greatly shape who we are. Sometimes they're positive, sometimes they're negative. Nevertheless, um, there's always a lesson to be learned. So how has a failure or apparent failure contributed to your success later on? And is there a failure that you are actually happy occurred because it let you it led you to where you are today? That's a good question. I feel like I always go back to <laughs> my... Um, they're all good questions. <laughs> Thank you. Just Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, I think I usually go back to... Um, my failing like that very first exam in medical school I had like so many expectations for myself going into it I don't know if this is how you guys' tests work but you get the score right away and I remember like pressing submit and the score coming back and I like that number is like burned into my mind and I was and it was just like instant panic so I was like that's not passing um and then you know downhill from there but graduated medical school in a timely manner and like you know that wasn't like the big impetus that I thought it was like it wasn't like a wall that like broke me off from going forward and now I can look and say you know the worst that could happen is I would fail and then I would move on see how I could fix that and then go on you know with my trajectory or if there need to like take a detour then we'll take that detour but it's not like I'll stop there's no full stop because I like failed yeah I, I mean honestly as you said a lot of the experiences some of them dialed out to just one experience that just keeps coming back so you do read a lot of books and you listen to obviously a lot of podcasts, as you said. What's your favorite book that you gift the most? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I have a lot of books. That... Usually I, I've been a very big fiction fan for like all of my life. And I'll gift books because I'm like, I like this book. I want to fangirl about it with someone. <laughs> and I'll like make someone else read it by gifting it to them. But really, that's my vibe. <laughs> this year, I took a little swerve and like have been listening to a lot of more nonfiction books and memoirs and stuff. I found it an interesting way to like get accounts on mental health. Uh, so I like read that Nadine Rick Harris book. That was very good. I've read things like The Body Keeps the Score by Kirk Vonnegut. I forgot, but that should bring it up. That's a book on uh, PTSD, which I'm also really interested in and how it can be treated with like psychotherapy. I've like really liked memoirs that talk about things like uh, mental health, eating disorders. I recently picked up Empty by Susan Burton and she had anorexia and bulimia um, and struggled with that for a long time. So it's like a really honest account of it. I like Brene Brown. I think if I were to send people books, they would be Brene Brown books because I like read all of her books last year and they were all very encouraging. I thought they were really good looks into like, I don't know, a lot of things that are very relatable in terms of like what people struggle with, with shame and self-confidence and being true to yourself and like being selfish in terms of doing the best for yourself. I think her work is great. Malcolm Gladwell is like my other favorite that I always bring up and end up talking about with a lot of people. He's like a very well-liked author, right? 
I think he does a great job of um, fleshing out an argument and like teaching you really interesting anecdotes that like pertain to that argument. I read his most recent book, Talking to Strangers, twice. I liked it so much. I thought it was so interesting. I like wanted those anecdotes. <laughs> to stay we in will my take head. notes down of every single uh, books and podcast <laughs> mention. <laughs> I'm really into TED Talks. A lot of these people have TED Talks on these topics. So, Renee <laughs> Brown's yeah. are really good. Yeah, I need to. I, I always tell myself to watch more TED Talks, but <laughs> you're right. Yeah, I've been told a lot about her TED Talks. She really speaks so concisely and with such a strong passion. I mean, yeah, it's it's. Uh, yeah, she's incredible. Yes, very well spoken. Um, so I believe we're near the end of the podcast. And as per the title of this podcast, Dr. Zen, uh, we can go through a guided story as a closing remark. So we like to imagine that you're a traveler who stopped by Dr.'s Inn to rest for lunch. And before you leave, the innkeeper, who is us or innkeepers, <laughs> um, we ask you to share one quote or a piece of advice so that we can frame it on our wall. And so what would that piece of advice be? And it could be something you live your life by, for example, a principle or and or ideology. Yeah. And just to give you some time to think about that, um, as a personal example, I've recently fallen in love with the idea of having a CV of failures. I believe it was first introduced by Melanie Steffen in her article in the Nature Journal, but it really went viral when a professor from Princeton published his CV of failures after he was awarded a very prestigious award. And later he was like, added to my CV of failures is that this CV has received more recognition than any of my research ever has. <laughs> and though I'm not at his level of success, I think creating a CV of failures could really benefit anyone. I've also recently compiled mine as a quote-unquote self-reflective practice uh, and from personal experience I can say that I would definitely recommend it to pre-meds in particular given that you do have to go through a lot of self-reflection when applying to med school or applying to um, summer research positions or applying to any sort of fellowship or scholarship really and so you do review a lot of your past experiences and accomplishments of course are great to mention um, but they also speak for themselves and I think these quote-unquote failures both personal and professional I'd say um, mine has both can really foster learning and so I guess my quote would be to learn from your mistakes, uh, which is very cliche, but in actuality, are they really mistakes if you learn from them so much? I think I'd rather change it to the only real mistakes we have are the ones that we learn nothing from, which I'm sure is already a quote, but I can't recall who said it. Um, but yeah, that would be mine. Save you a failure is a really good idea. It's a very cool thing because I'm really big on reflection because yeah. I think that's like your you know key to success of like moving forward, learning from everything, yeah. and enjoying your little victories and stuff. That's awesome. I think my introspection, retrospection. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, one, this one popped out at me. I remember, I think I found it on Instagram through uh, this book, Instagram, um, girl that I follow. And it was Carrie Fisher's quote of be afraid, but do it anyway. And that's like, really like, you know, jumped out of me, stuck with me for a long time because I'm a very anxious person. <laughs> I'm very scared of failure and disappointing people. And I just like carry that around with me. And for a lot of M1 year, I think I was very like, you know, I'm going to fail this test. Like, but M2 year with my like counselor therapist, I started working through, you know, it's okay to have that fear. Like, it's okay to acknowledge it, that it's rational, whatever. And like, it's still there, but I can still like work. Like I can still study and like try to prepare my best. And then like, whatever happens will happen, whether or not that belief is there, it doesn't have to like become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like I don't have to let it do that. Yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> 
Honestly, thank you so much, Dr. Anjali, again. This was a very special episode, considering, again, uh, just Mental Health Awareness Day was two days ago. And obviously, it's so great to have you come on this podcast and to talk to us about mental health, bringing more awareness, obviously. There's just so much more to it, as we kind of discussed. So thank you so much for taking your time out. And everyone, you can find Dr. Anjali on Instagram at honestlyanjali, that's H-O-N-E. E-S-T-L-Y-A-N-J-A-L-I. And you can also subscribe to her blog post. Um, it should all be on her link tree. So yeah, that's about it. Thank you so much, Dr. Anjali, for doing this. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much, you guys. I really enjoyed this. And a major thank you to all you lovely homo sapiens who stopped by Dr. Zen. All the show notes can be found at www.drzenpodcast.com. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>